Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. We're more than a half year now since the last election, and we've been able to see some of the results of the major leadership changes that took place in New Mexico, and more specifically to this discussion in Albuquerque. One of those changes in guard that came with the recent election is who's leading the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office. John Allen won the general election with 54% of the vote, replacing the term-limited Sheriff Manny Gonzalez, who spent the last eight years at the helm of BCSO. So Allen, who's a Democrat and also the first African-American sheriff of Bernalillo County, he is now more than six months into his term, and we thought it would be a good idea to sit down with the sheriff, talk a little bit more about who he is and what his priorities are in the county. It certainly has its fair share of crime and also its fair share of politics when it comes to conflicts with the city of Albuquerque. There hasn't always been agreement between the leadership of the city and the county, particularly the sheriff's office. Yeah, Sheriff John Allen joins us here today at the KRQE studio. Sheriff, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Before we kind of get into policy and ideas, perspective-wise, I wanted to ask off the bat, what have your first six months been like as sheriff overall, kind of high level? Has it been challenging, easy, chaotic? What say you? <laughs> you know what, honestly, a blessing, to be honest with you. It's been awesome. It is challenging. There's so many issues that we face here in Bernalillo County. And we just want to make sure that we're doing, you know, we got, we're elected making sure that we're a voice for the voters, for our constituents. And there's so many issues to deal with collaboration, mending relationships. And that's just not here in Bernalillo County. That's all over uh, the nation, actually. So it's been great. Yeah. And just to set a little bit more of the scene for people who aren't familiar, Bernalillo County is New Mexico's most populous county. It's where Albuquerque is, the most populous city. In the state, more than 676,000 people live in Bernalillo County and about 106,000 people live in the unincorporated part of the county. So, Sheriff, you've worked actually for the Sheriff's Office for 18 years, including some time under Sheriff Manny Gonzalez. Before you became the sheriff, can you tell us a little bit more about your background in law enforcement? Why did you leave the Sheriff's Office and what drew you back into leadership of the agency? So I started my career back in 1997 with New Mexico State Police. But what a lot of people don't know is I tried to get into the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office in 1996. I failed our stretching exam, and that's why I wasn't able to go. Um, so I always everything I've always said in my life that I won't do has happened. So I always said I would never join the New Mexico State Police as my father did. And sure enough, in 1997, I did. But uh, that was actually a blessing because that's where I met my wife, Athena Allen, maiden name in Senius up in Las Vegas, New Mexico. And worked there for three and a half years before lateraling to the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office in April of 2001. And while I was there, uh, of course, like every deputy does, patrolled East Mountain, uh, North Valley, South Valley, and, you know, the metro area. And then I became a detective, and then I became a SWAT operator. But during that time, I became very focused on training cadets and people that were in law enforcement already. So I became a master instructor in defensive tactics and also use of force did a huge contingent within the academy and trained people, not just here in Bernalillo County, but all over the nation in homicide investigations, use of force and defensive tactics. Uh, then I became a supervisor of all of those units of violent crimes and homicide that I did so long and also special weapons and tactics. And during that time, I was forced into being a supervisor over behavioral health, uh, which was 
not really a hot topic at the time. It was starting to come up. People were starting to catch on to a lot of the things the Albuquerque Police Department uh, were starting to face doing the consent decree with the Department of Justice. So uh, I had training with that. And then in January of 2020, I retired and I went to work for the CNM Law Enforcement Academy, which was another blessing because I met even more people from around the state and dif- different personnel and different instructors. So it's been an awesome career so far. And what made you want to run for sheriff? You know, I wanted to run for sheriff back in 2016, which a lot of people don't know also. Mm. I just saw a lot of things that I thought that I could help with and have better forward thinking in terms of what was going on currently and who I was working for. I'll be very candid with that. I, myself and Sheriff Gonzalez at the time, I didn't agree with a lot of things him and his administration did, and I called him out on a lot of stuff. And I thought that I could uh, do a better job. And when you say that, those are big words and those are not saying filling anybody's shoes, but that's a huge responsibility. And as I was teaching or at the end of my career, I became even more focused on running for sheriff. And then when I was teaching at CNM Law Enforcement Academy, that's when I made the decision. I said, this is going to happen. I'm going to do it. And I think I made a great decision. I'm pretty happy with how everything's been turning out so far. You touched a little bit on uh, the disagreements you had with Sheriff Gonzalez. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. So, you know, coming into this role, it sounds like you did see a need for change in terms of how the department was being led. And if you think about Sheriff Gonzalez's tenure, you know, it was marked with some controversy in the final years, especially. There was obviously a lot of disagreement between the city of Albuquerque, something we mentioned in the intro, and the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office. Some of it was political. Gonzalez ran for mayor against Tim Keller, an election that Tim Keller won. Um, Some of it was also, I think, a difference in opinion about the operations, you could say. One thing that stands out is the operation of federal agencies and efforts during the Trump administration that you saw Sheriff Gonzalez seemed seemingly sided with a lot more than Mayor Tim Keller. And so with that context in mind, I'm curious, you know, what were the things maybe you disagreed with Sheriff Gonzalez about and how he was handling certain roles and efforts in his office? And what have you tried to change? Okay. Uh, first of all, preempt the conversation with anybody who takes an elected seat or a role that you took in someone that was before your predecessor, I always have respect for, for taking on a responsibility to begin with. And a lot of the problems that I saw was just not uh, the way we handled our behavioral health calls, um, our officer-involved shootings, and some a uh, lot of differences I, of opinion I had, and things that I didn't think were transparent at all. I also brought up at the time, at the time, body-worn cameras. Uh, it shouldn't even be a conversation. It, it isn't now. That's good. It's further on in technology. But you can't speak on being transparent with anybody when you're actually not. Uh, and I think that's something I want to change right away. And I saw a lot of the investigations my detectives were dealing with. If we did have a body camera, uh, footage is very important. It's not everything. There's so many cooperating things that go on with evidence. But it's a, it's a huge deal for investigators to look at and have a different angle on what happened during the time of any type of use of force or deadly force incident. And the biggest item I want to change is how people are treated to be happy at their job. Just because you didn't support them in the election Uh, Just because they don't like you, you're not going to get everybody that likes you. Treat everybody with respect how you want to be treated and also give people a chance with forward thinking and coming up with their ideas. And look, all these ideas aren't mine. They're ideas that I've had my whole career from different people, from people. We have a great command staff at the sheriff's office and great culture and history there. Let them go forward with their ideas. It's about not micromanaging, uh, which I saw specifically was done with the previous administration And that doesn't allow free thought to make sure that we're representing everybody who we serve. Uh, So that was very important to me. To change that, I'm on the opposite side of all of that. Uh, So Behavior Health is a huge platform. 
one of the first uh, behavioral health managers that we hired. I can say we're probably the first in the state, if not the region, to do so. And that came with someone who's a civilian but has law enforcement experience. That was big for me to be able to relate to law enforcement and also the civilian side. And also letting people forward think once people promote not only developing them, but listening to their ideas, we're not going to always agree on everything. And I had to make that very clear. And people are still getting used to that because of what happened before me is just because we disagree doesn't mean I'm going to target you or come after you. Uh, We might even have a heated conversation, but disagreements and contrast fosters growth. And I think that's the only way an agency or you as a human being can actually grow. So that's something that we've changed. What is BCSO's current relationship with the city of Albuquerque and Mayor Tim Keller? It's great. I did that. I had a a lot of backlash and and I told people this numerous times on people who don't like the mayor. And I'm very upfront about it. I don't care. I don't care if you like him or you don't. We still have to work together. Again, the mayor and I aren't going to agree on everything. We had a disagreement two weeks ago. Uh, I have a meeting with him actually tonight. We'll probably have another disagreement. But again, it fosters growth and to make sure that we're working together. I don't think the people in Bernalillo County and I say Bernalillo County and the city of Albuquerque, they care about your relationship, but they don't. They want to see things that are done and that can be done correctly and that can be done efficiently. And we have a huge crime problem here. A lot of people don't care what uniform shows up. They just want a professional, efficient response. And whether that's us or APD, I never do anything to make themselves look bad, but I keep telling everybody that we're going to be proactive. Albuquerque Police Department is way behind on the people power they have. They're inundated with calls. I get emails every day from my undersheriff, uh, Sheriff Jareno, sitting behind me over here, and the number of calls that aren't responded to, so we try to fill in the gaps. And some people might take that the wrong way, think I'm trying to make them look bad. That's not the case at all. Genuinely, again, this sounds very harsh. I, I don't care about people's thoughts in that area because while we're here thinking about how safe we are in our office or even during this podcast, there's other people out there suffering or a victim of crime. They want a response and they want it to be efficient. And I think proactivity is how we can start putting a dent into this crime epidemic. You mentioned staffing real quick with APD. What's your current staffing situation at BCSO? Uh, We're close to 50 short and we knew there would be an attrition rate. So we're hiring. uh, We just got the raise that was great for us. And we're starting to see the numbers go up as far as people of interest. Uh, We're starting Academy next week of 21. Uh, We have a lateral class of three. And while we're doing that, I really put a pressure on my command staff and said, hey, we need some more laterals and we need another academy to start right away. But I want to make sure that we follow tradition and history. I want to make sure that we're giving lateral applicants a chance to come someplace where they think they can thrive or grow with their career, but not rob Peter to pay Paul. So the example I always give, not saying this has happened, but if 20 Albuquerque Police Department personnel want to lateral our office, I would like for that to happen, but I wouldn't take all of them because you're not really helping the situation on what we're, we're dealing with. So you can really be picky in that area and see what the growth and what they can do for your office later, uh, but you have to be very careful with that. Along the lines of staffing, I wanted to ask you what your thoughts are about having your deputies doing police work in Albuquerque, so to speak. Um, are you wanting to sort of leave the city to the city guys or, you know, is that something where you see deputies getting more involved in? I, I say that because I, I do know as well, APD certainly has a far different level of some of the metrics that they have to meet due to the Department of Justice settlement agreement. We know that just basically policy-wise, they, they have some stuff that they do very differently than your guys do. So with that in mind, knowing that police officers are out there and the expectation for the most part is in the city, people see city of Albuquerque police. What are your thoughts on having your deputies maybe be a little bit more of an involved role 
within policing inside the city of Albuquerque. That's important because I think it's a force multiplier and you're you're adding on to the personnel issues uh, that the Albuquerque Police Department is dealing with. Like I said, as they're dealing with calls, we can be proactive. And that's just, and you saw me in the central corridor with our deputies, uh, being on foot, meeting with constituents, meeting with business owners, speaking with people about their problems and hearing some of the negative things they have to say about law enforcement. That's very important to me. But you have to remember, I'm the chief law enforcement officer in Bernalillo County. And just because it's in the city, I have to cross commission uh, the Albuquerque Police Department to go into the unincorporated areas. And that just means we have a great relationship and we keep fostering and we grow from there because we know some of their investigations go in the incorporated areas and ours go into the incorporated areas. And with everything that's going on within the city of Albuquerque right now, I, I believe people want to see us there. And we haven't had one negative comment on us being there. They like to see law enforcement. They like to see proactive, whether that's the drag racing, pulling vehicles over. It's also just speaking with people on community policing. I call it engaged community policing um, because you need that conversation back and forth. All of you are our detectives also, meaning you call, you give us the problems and the issues. You might have information for us. The community is a huge percent of what we do as law enforcement. And I think a lot of people get lost in that when you have a serious crime epidemic or controversy or anything like that. You can never forget about community because that's where it starts. So that's something that we've changed also. And staffing related again, because I know that this is something it seems like everybody is struggling with. BCSO certainly made their salaries pretty competitive recently, right? Right. Yes. Did you want to talk about that at all? Absolutely. I do put in force. Um, So uh, we make 35.72 an hour and what I'll break it down for you. So uh, before the last contract that the Albuquerque Police Department with the city of Albuquerque passed was you would make 35.72, but that's for their senior officer at 15 years. The difference for us is you make 3572 after you get out of the academy and have been a deputy second class for one year and six months. So you hit your top salary. It was now it was 13 and a half years previous. I know they've recently adjusted that to four to 15 years or five to 15 years. We'll still be making more than them when we, we get into that area. What they defer from us with is their starting salary for their P2Cs, which they start off at $30 and we start off at 23 so we want to make sure that we're not giving a complete full investment till people get off of training, but then right away they see a huge pay bump. And I think that's huge for morale and to keep people and retain people. Okay. Switching gears a little bit before you were elected, I do want to acknowledge one of the major tragedies that the sheriff's office went through last year. We just passed the one year mark of the Metro two helicopter crash that took place in July of 2022. BCSO's helicopter was helping fight a wildfire near Las Vegas, New Mexico. Pilot and undersheriff Lieutenant Larry Corrin died in the crash alongside Lieutenant Fred Beers, Deputy Michael Levinson, and Bernalillo County Fire Rescue Specialist Matthew King were also killed in the crash. So these guys routinely provided air support for law enforcement, medical support, rescue missions, and helped in fighting wildfires. How has that impacted BCSO's helicopter program and how do you envision its mission going forward? It impacted us greatly, uh, just not with the program, but as far as all our personnel, whether that's sworn civilian family. Uh, It's a huge loss and people around that was a shockwave throughout the nation and also through people who have air air unit programs around the nation. The biggest thing I looked at is putting a pause. Um, My personal thoughts were to ground it right when I right when I was the sheriff elect, I knew I'd ground it. Because anytime that you see something that tragic, there's something missing and things need to slow down. 
And we also need to look at not just the structure, but also our policy and procedure and our safety standards. We'll never know right away what will happen. That investigation is still ongoing. That could come out next month. That could be in three to five years. We don't know. We want to make sure that we do all the internal audits to make sure that our safety is priority, how we ran that unit, and how do we need to adjust it while we're trying to build back up to the program that it was before. Many in the air unit world understand Larry had a lot of certifications. That's going to take us years to catch up to. But when you look at it, I want it to be a more patrol-based. With all the crime epidemic we have, drag racing, violent offenders, uh, you see the SWAT calls going up now, and we're about to hit another warrant program, and that SWAT calls will go up even further. We want to make sure that we're 60% patrol-based, and then eventually we're going to get back into search and rescue. But how do you do that? And how you do that is after you review and audit your internal audit or your internal policies, you have to have a sustainability program, just not one pilot. So we have one now that's trained on our patrol, and then we're looking at interviewing and hiring a second pilot. But then you have mechanics, and there's one now, and they get worn out and need time off and vacation also. Uh, so we need to make sure that it is sustainable. And then also someone that's younger that is interested in flying that comes up through the department, not necessarily the ranks, but someone that can take over. Someone might leave. Uh, we want to make sure if we lose one pilot, it's just not grounded again and we're waiting to get somebody certified. So we're making sure we're doing that very carefully. And at the same time, making sure uh, I keep telling a lot of folks, it's important to me to hear opinions from the families. And I have. And of course, you know, there's various lawsuits and things going on. I totally understand that. But we need to really make sure at the safety and what possibly could have gone wrong when we lost uh, four of our heroes. I want to make sure that we don't do that again. And when you look at San Diego, we look at the New Mexico State Police uh, Sergeant Andy Tingwall was actually one of my drill instructors in the state police. We wanted to look at what they did after they lost Andy. That's very important for me personally. And I think it's important to the public to make sure that we have an air unit that, again, can run safely when we have it go back up. So the plan is I actually have a meeting with them probably at the end of this month sometime. I said July before we're getting some other things in place and then we can make a decision and make sure our pilot's comfortable. And then we just build from there and we keep moving on. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the future with Sheriff Allen and some of the things he foresees tackling in his department during his term here. some of the decisions that you've made. One of them nearly immediately was the pause of BCSO's role in the show On Patrol Live. So this is a live reality TV series for those who aren't familiar, which I did find interesting given the former sheriff's hesitation, let's say, to get on board with the routine use of lapel cameras before law enforcement was required by the state law to utilize lapel cameras. So this pause for BCSO's participation in the reality series has continued. Can you tell us what was behind that pause? And do you think you'd participate in On Patrol Live or something like that again? Yeah, many different factors on that pause. I, I was on shows like that before, not cops, but I was on America's Most Wanted for a homicide case that we did with uh, some cartel stuff we were doing with in Albuquerque. I spoke to a bunch of deputies that I knew, and I spoke to actually some previous command staff, and it was a pain for them. And with the crime crisis going on, I don't necessarily have the thought of, hey, we don't want a TV show to be here to show how bad Albuquerque is. 
I think in, on, in contrast, you can show what great work deputies do. But what I saw and that we saw from uh, the SORB, our deputies weren't focused on. It was focused for the cameras, adjusting schedules. To me, it was not focusing on the crime epidemic we have. I want people to know how dedicated we are to putting a dent in this. And you're always going to have crime, but it's way too high right now. And I don't think anybody, I don't myself, and I'm the sheriff, feel safe in certain areas of the city that I go into. Um, and I'm sure you feel the same that I want deputies to focus on their work. Will I bring that back at a later time? I don't know. Uh, they've asked before. I've spoke to the uh, producer. They want us, uh, you know, because there's a lot of activity here. Uh, but I just don't think that's in my even on my back burner right now or something I'm even thinking about. Very upfront with them and told them, wait for six months. And I put them on pause again. I probably won't even think about that until around 2025 because I have so many other projects and things that we're trying to do. And I don't think that'll build a great positive light on our office right now. There's a lot of issues that I'm trying to fix at the same time while we have a crime epidemic. And look, we're making sure that our morale's up. And then I want to hear from the deputies whether they're liked it or not. And before I maybe heard a small percentage that liked it because it got them some TV time. I totally understand that, but I want them to focus on their main job. Yeah, I, d- I did find it interesting. I watched a few episodes and and it really does, I think, to the point of scheduling and the focus where the focus is. I mean, it's a TV show and you do see those deputies getting pulled to the side, probably talking to the producer who's behind the camera as the camera's rolling about what's going on. And when you're having to go back and forth between explaining what's happening and also not maybe indicting the person about what what you're still investigating, right? I can imagine that that there's just a, a concern about where the focus of the work is. Time management. Yeah, there is, and I don't want to worry about privacy or HIPAA violations and things of that nature. I just honestly don't have time for it right now. We're trying to get our numbers up, and there's so many projects going on that are in secret for now, and things that I've put out there. Um, but we have more to come, and I want to focus on those goals. I wanted to ask you about use of force. That's always one of the biggest questions that comes up when it comes to just policing in general anywhere in the U.S. um, and training related to use of force and policies that interact with that. So use of force obviously has, I think, come up just even a few times in your tenure so far. Um, I, I think about a couple cases in April and one of them, just for some context here, there was a deadly shooting of a man. Um, who was uh, being sought after for a welfare check, uh, Jared Romero. You know, we saw in a news conference the video that showed Mr. Romero running towards deputies when he was shot. He had a knife in his hand. Again, this was a welfare check. Um, There was another example that we reported on here about a deputy being placed on administrative leave uh, for the use of a taser during a traffic stop where the driver was accused of speeding and then his passenger was also arrested. And that also happened in April. We should note as well that the charges were eventually dropped against both the driver and the passenger in that case. So a couple cases of use of force. And and as I understand, you know, there are probably limits to what you can say as sheriff, you know, there's investigations and, and I get that, but I wanted to see if perhaps I could ask you in reaction in general, your reaction perhaps to those cases, what you can share about, seeing those two use of force cases and in general, you know, have you thought about maybe a holistic overall approach towards BCSO and use of force? You know, a lot, like I said, master use of force instructor, and to be very candid and transparent, it's certain things I can't discuss, but you'll get close to everything is when you look at cases like that, and you've named two specifically, something that you look at, just not the sheriff as a CEO, if you have a problem with any company or, or at all, what is the overall culture of the agency that you're in charge of? What has been in the past? What can we do better in the future? And what is happening in the present? So when you look at that, and I taught a lot of people use of force when I was 
uh, before I retired the first time with the sheriff's office. I looked at the behavioral health manager. So you talked about the Jared Romero case. Uh, I want to make sure that we're slowing things down. So right away, you always need to make sure that your standard operating procedures isn't set in stone. And, and don't get me wrong when I say that, it needs to be a living, evolving document. It needs to change. Our whole purpose is to serve our community and not have to take a life if we don't need to. Uh, the deadly force incident itself, I'll never second guess a deputy with hindsight, 2020 hindsight, other than to look at policy and how that doesn't need to happen again. But what people are concerned about is how do we slow that down to where that case doesn't happen again? What resources do deputies need? And at that time, I don't feel that deputies had the resources they needed. Uh, so I made a policy change immediately. And that policy change, make sure that a supervisor is there, that they're checking certain databases to see who we're dealing with to begin with. And I have to also think, which is a hard decision for me to make, and I haven't made it yet, do we even respond to calls when people are trying to commit suicide? Uh, suicide is not a crime, but at the same time, we serve and protect. And a lot of people take that saying for granted a lot these days. So do we go and check on another individual like that? How do we do that? What policies do we have set in place? Who do we call? Do we make contact with that person? That's why I put that policy in place, behavior health manager, to make sure we look at those policies. Another huge reason why we're doing the drone program uh, that, I've, that I've been talking about so much. As far as other incidents on use of force, and those of that know what I'm talking about, when you just look at your agency's policy and overall, not just locally, but nationally, what Graham factors, meaning uh, Graham versus Connor. And what I'm talking about is a three-step process on how things are rapidly evolving. Are they actively and passively resisting? Are they a threat to yourselves and other people? How do you handle those calls and can you do it with a less than lethal tool? But if you're violating someone's civil rights and going beyond policy, I'm telling you now that you will see things dealt with. It won't, I won't say it will go fast. You have to give everybody their rights as employees. You have to give everybody their employment rights, grievance processes. I also look at what's gone on ever since George Floyd and specifically not just in Minnesota, but what happened to the two officers in Atlanta, Georgia with the taser incident. If you remember the male and female in the car, everybody wanted to appease uh, the public right away by firing those officers. I told everybody that agency is going to be in trouble and those officers are going to get their job back and then they're going to come back with their job being millionaires. And that's exactly what happened. So you need to look just not at use of force, but employment rights, slow things down. And so everybody understands out there. Everybody says, well, why are you, John, still paying somebody if you put them in admin leave? Admin leave for me as the sheriff means, whether it's with pay or without pay, that I know that that person cannot either, one, do any more harm to the community. Two, it slows them down. And three, it lets my investigation take its time and take its course. So I am also fair from beginning to end when I make a decision because I guarantee you I will have to be in court or in a hearing for employment rights to make sure that I followed the correct protocol also. Mm. You know, APD has its settlement agreement with the Department of Justice we talked a little bit about earlier, and that in many ways reshaped how that department operates, uh, particularly around use of force. So I wanted to ask you, do you at all look at APD for any kind of policy inspiration? Because, you know, for those who do follow what has now been an eight-year settlement agreement process, they're always working on policy, it seems, uh, in you know, a whole bunch of different areas. So do you ever look at them for policy inspiration? Yes, and it, I, I would say more, um, better word, I mean, inspiration, yes, but at the same time, and I'll just be straight up, not to be foolish, you have to look at a sister agency to see the mistakes they've made. At the same time, we've made mistakes. 
but not to duplicate those mistakes. And then how have they dealt with it? What policies have they changed? Is it an important policy that can go with your agency? That's very important to look at as a leader because that makes you fix your scope or tighten your scope on, we just discussed use of force. Do I need to change something? Do I have a culture problem? Do I have a training problem? Do I have how we're hiring employees problem? The consent decree in DOJ addressed all those issues. So I asked Chief Medina about those. He's an expert in that area. He's had to deal with it. I asked their patrolmen, their detectives, their supervisors. And you'll always hear negative things about the DOJ, which I don't have positive things to say about them other than they make you slow things down and look at a a lot of issues. I think it's very important to look at that and change. Not saying that you need to exactly mirror every policy they have, but it needs to be on your radar. And just like we talked about some of the use of force incidents we've had ourselves, that's something just as a use of force instructor, and just not from APD, from agencies from around the state and the nation. What are the best practices? Who do you need to place an admin leave? How fast do you need to do it? Do you need to hurry investigations? What is the public thinking? Trust me, I'm an elected seat, and that is my job to think about what all of you are thinking and the concerns you have. I look at all of that, and again, you'll hear me say all the time, the totality of the circumstances is all the different facets that I just discussed. Put all that and make common sense out of it. It doesn't have to be so convoluted and so, not discouraging, but so intricate that you can't explain it. Just slow things down and make sure that you're investigating properly. And if you need to make hard decisions, trust me, I'm not afraid to to make them or even mirror a certain policy with APD, you have to do that to make sure my main goal is to keep the DOJ away from my agency. I don't want them near there. We saw what's been going on with the Albuquerque Police Department. So for me to turn a blind eye to it and say, oh, I hate the DOJ, I'll never do what they say. Uh, but then again, we saw what APD dealt with. I'm not going to pay attention to that scenario. I think you'd be a fool not to look at that. You have also put a lot of emphasis uh, as of recent into issues surrounding behavioral health. BCSO now has a behavioral health unit and dedicated social workers, which help address some of those calls, you know, involving mental health crises. How has that program been working out so far? You know, it's been working out, but I warned people would probably be one of the most difficult programs we would do. And I say that because I wouldn't say just law enforcement, but, you know, even at your jobs here. Everybody, I wouldn't say is completely resistant to change, but change is difficult. Nobody likes change and seeing if their job title or anything is going to change. But for me as the sheriff is like, what, what is better for our community and everybody that we serve? Just not the people that uh, I employ. And it's going well. Uh, we've hired our first behavioral health sergeant. So we're making that unit. I told everybody I wanted to have a unit years down the road. I made a decision very quickly, even with the people power issues we have, we need that quick sooner than later. And sure enough, we were forced into it a little bit with the use of force we were talking about earlier. People can't wait, just like with the crime. They can't wait for everything to be comfortable and everything to be perfect. It's not going to happen. So uh, mobile crisis teams, as we went in, I helped start that before I retired. I came back and my guys are going to hear this, but no negative to them. It was a mess and it wasn't organized and it wasn't, there wasn't a scope of work. What was helping our field units for behavioral health call when they would go to any type of call anywhere in Bernalillo County what resources did they have at their hands, whether it was an MCT officer, a clinician, or anything else? And it really wasn't there, and it wasn't consistent. So we changed that. And before this meeting, actually, I was just uh, meeting with our behavioral health uh, manager, Diane Dosal, and she was giving me some updates, and MCT's doing very well. There's some other units we're looking at adding and changing. There will be more changes to come. And we talked about some of the DOJ and things we saw at the Albuquerque Police Department. I asked them all the time what they changed, and it's also making sure that you can swallow your pride. It's not, oh, this wasn't my idea, so I'm not going to do it. I think that's another foolish mistake to make. Other people, 
and people that are in law enforcement have great uh, ideas and I'm listening to all of them also. And that's whether it's from NAMI, people in the behavioral health world, psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, we're talking to everybody. And actually we're also talking to families on people's lives that we've had to take and what we could have done better. That's a hard pill to swallow. And those are things you don't want to hear, but I believe it's absolutely necessary. And I think that's one of the reasons I was able to be elected is because I'm willing to have those hard conversations. Everything's not going to be uh, sunshine and rainbows all the time. It's not. There's going to be controversy and there's going to be hard things to discuss and I'm willing to do that. Since you've taken over as sheriff, has there been anything that's surprised you? And what do you see as your biggest challenge here? I wouldn't say it was really a surprise, but the great ideas that come from deputies and not command staff. I was there and there was nothing more frustrating to me um, when a new sheriff would come in. I went through two of them. And when a new sheriff would come in and my ideas weren't heard or even entertained. And I knew that hadn't been going on because I had some pushback and resistance uh, when we had transition meetings and met with just deputies. Uh, some people of rate did not like that. And that was a red flag to me, meaning that's not the culture that I want. So I made it very clear and apparent that this is the culture that we'll have and it will be uh, sustainable. Those deputies are grown men and women, and they can be also people of rank at a later time, but they're also civilians like us and citizens of Bernalillo County that see things they don't like. So what ideas do they have? Biggest challenge is getting people. And like I said, that sounds so blanketed term I hear everybody in the nation. It's a challenge, but it's not. I think it's really how you present the agency and how you're open to hearing people. Yes, I'm the sheriff. I have five stars on my callers. Awesome. Good for me. Whatever. It really matters. Can people work here and can they have a career that they enjoy? And can you really make a difference every day? And I'm telling people that you can. And I, I think that culture is getting out there and that message is getting out there. That's why we're seeing more applicants. Granted, money is always good to have a little extra to pay your bills with. As I say, that's if anyone says it's not, they're foolish, but that's going to take time. And I think we'll start seeing, we'll start seeing a difference in our numbers here, January and February. And I think that culture will live on and you can really make a difference here at the sheriff's office. We're more family oriented, not saying Albuquerque police department is, I'm just saying in terms of facts of numbers, we're a smaller agency. So I can see somebody and I've seen them before as opposed to like, who's that? Of course, it was like that for me as sheriff seeing some of the new cadets that just came in. But I go and introduce myself and make sure that I'm approachable. I think uh, the culture and history has been here for a long time. And someone that I always speak to also is my uh, one of my favorite sheriffs in person is uh, Darren White. I speak to him on occasion, probably at least once a month, if I'm correct. Darren will correct me if I'm not. <laughs> but um, speaking to him about it, and I can care less if he's Republican and I'm Democrat. That's something to speak about. But making sure, and he told me the night I was elected, I remember his message very clearly and says, you have a great ship, make sure that you guide it right. And that hit me hard and deep. And I thought about it. My wife was like, are you okay? I said, just give me a minute to process. It's a huge responsibility on making sure that not only are people happy, but the people that you serve don't ever forget why you did this job. And that's why I said money's important. And people always tell you, don't do this job if you don't want money. I believe that to a point, you need to pay your employees correct. Um, you need to make sure that they're taken care of, uh, that helps their morale, take care of their families and make sure that they have a sustainable career. I know one of the things we mentioned off the top of this podcast, you're the first African-American sheriff for Bernalillo County. Um, diversity came to mind in one of your first news conferences where you, know, you talked about your command staff, your team as well, and how important diversity was to you. How important is that going forward from here? Always important. He's sitting behind me. Um, actually gets me emotional a little bit. Sit, sitting here and watching Under Sheriff Hot Angel, first immigrant under sheriff we've had. 
um, from what he's come in and his life experiences and the knowledge that he has, I think people were quite surprised. The comments that I hear, which is another red flag, oh, he was just a sergeant. That tells me that you're really built by your title in your life and that people below you, uh, which we don't say that here, but your subordinates or people that you supervise, again, have great ideas. I'm also hiring someone, and we discussed it before. Um, I appointed a, a major, which is a new position. I always knew that I wanted a Hispanic female to represent our community a little bit more, and some with knowledge also that came from the Albuquerque Police Department that dealt with the DOJ and had to talk to them every day. Uh, she gives me insight all the time on what not to do and calls me out on decisions I have. Um, that's Holly Anderson, and she calls me out probably at least twice a week all the time and cons me down. But I think diversity is huge. And then uh, Aaron Williamson, uh, he's Caucasian. And he, uh, we laugh at him because everybody always makes some type of smart butt comment. But he's been around for a long time and is very smart administratively and financial wise. And I wanted to surround people with who who I trust. And I trust uh, my circle's small. And that's for a reason. But I also know what my command staff brings. I also know uh, I don't need to always be sitting at my desk for this office to run efficiently. I have total trust in the people that are on our command staff. And that's from undersheriffs major chiefs, captains, lieutenants down. Um, and then one of the most important people, she's sitting on my left over here is my executive assistant, Desiree Trujillo. She really runs the office, but not just with appointments, but making sure that I'm approachable and I can be able to speak to everybody I can, whether that's media, uh, people in the community. It's very important for me to be able to meet with everybody that I can. Is there anything else that we didn't ask you about that perhaps you wanted to make sure to add here? Yeah, no, just, um, and I'm sure we'll get into it later, but uh, the crime epidemic that we have, we're, we're looking at different, I keep saying um, angles, fastest, whatever you want to call it, whether that's with technology, we change the body cams, um, uh, talking to business owners, you have to look at battling crime in so many other ways as just arresting people and putting them in jail. It's one of the reasons I'm an executive member on this uh, criminal justice coordinating council. We need to make sure that judges understand that when a deputy arrests someone, not just a low level crime, but has an, a drug addiction or behavioral health problem that when they go to court, if we put them in jail, um, that they have somewhere else to go to make sure they're successful in the community. And that's also something here, probably in about a month, I met with Diane Dosal this morning, as I mentioned previously, um, that deputies will also have a choice that when they deal with someone and someone needs that care, they don't have to take them to jail. They can take them to the care center to get treatment right away because we can talk about the revolving door all day long. We can put them in jail tonight, but they're going to be released tomorrow. It's a low-level crime. So how do we make them successful back into our community? And if we deal with them two or three times, you're going to pay the consequences and be held accountable. And I believe you have to have a very hybrid program when it comes to um, fixing the crime epidemic. You got uh, at least another uh, three and a half years on your first term. You thought about the second term yet? You're going to run again? Oh, I'll definitely early. be running again. Uh, I'll definitely be running again. And because everyone says, hey, um, you always hear campaign slogans. You've got to continue what we've been doing. Well, that goes on me every day. And it's just not because of that. I truly love law enforcement. I truly love my job. Uh, I believe we're making a, a, a big difference. Uh, eventually, we'll be putting out some metrics and stats on what some of the projects we've been doing so the public sees what's successful. Uh, but I love what I do, and, and hopefully I get the opportunity to do a second term. And to answer your question, no, yeah, a little early, I don't want to be, sound so confident um, because people will judge me, of course, on the results that I get. And, and that's something that I think about every day. So again, it's an honor and a privilege to be sitting in this seat. Sheriff Allen, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
thanks to Sheriff John Allen for coming all the way to the KRQE studios to talk with us about all of his initiatives and the things that he's doing with BCSO. Yeah, it sounds like he has an ambitious outlook for all of the things he'd like to do for the department. And I thought it was interesting, his candor on disagreeing, so to speak, with the predecessor, um, that being Sheriff Manny Gonzalez. It seems like there is a a, a big difference uh, between the two individuals. Um, And so, yeah, just interesting to get some more insight behind what his ideas are. If you have an idea for a podcast, you can always reach out to us. I'm at Chris McKee TV and also Chris.McKee at KRQE.com. And I'm Gabrielle.Burkhart at KRQE.com via email and GBurkNM on social media. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>